0: This is is Diversified diversified Game Game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kellen. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, y'all, and I'm trying to get it together on this Diversified Game episode, we have today somebody that I saw and I heard his music on the John Henry movie, Netflix. You guys are Netflix and chilling right now. And Hunter Lamar. I had heard this song, everything, it hit me in the soul. I'm sure it hit you because I've been seeing people talk about it. It's on every Platform right now that you can see. And then I looked at his history and he's been grinding for a while. So he was so gracious to give us some time. Hunter, what's going on, brother?
1: Yo, thank you so much for having me. I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous to be on an entrepreneurship podcast, but I'm really excited to be here and I'm really grateful for the opportunity.
0: Well, I mean, why are you nervous? Because you are an entrepreneur and you're one of the more risky entrepreneurs doing music. And, you know, so nervous why?
1: I guess I've, I've always, like, framed things in terms of the, the hustle, but I'm not necessarily in, in, in terms of the hard work, but not necessarily in terms of, like, the market aspect of it. Of course it comes in, and of course it's important to think of, but it's always been about the art first. And I've never thought of myself as a full-on business person as much as I am a, a creator who lives to share as much as possible. Does that
0: make sense? No, definitely, definitely. Because it, it there is a balance between, you know, creative and business. I call myself a PR test. And there's a group of us, I didn't make up that term at all. But, you know, it, it's a balance of you want to create, but you also have to do the business. Yep. So I, I I get it. I get it. But you are not, you know, from LA, where you are living now, you're from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Give give us the backstory on how you know you became and and where you've you've gone. And I know you said before you know you went to school in even Boston. I live, my wife and I, we got married in Springfield, Massachusetts, had our oh, first child okay. there. So I, I know that area because we might be like you where we like to move around too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I've lived on the coasts my entire life. I grew up, I was born in Montclair, New Jersey. I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and my mother was a Broadway singer. So she was on Broadway from the 70s to maybe about 90, probably about 2000, where she stopped doing musical theater Uh, professionally, because she had a a son to raise. And she um, took a step back after 20 years in the performance industry to take care of me and then switched into healthcare. And then my father was a college professor and a psychology professor. I went to this uh, choir school called the Newark Boys Chorus School from ages 10 to 13, where it was this all-black, all-boy choir of children. And we would perform in... All over New Jersey and New York, but then we also got the opportunity to go to England and Wales, and we got the opportunity to sing in the Cayman Islands and go to Canada. So you think about these 10 to 14 year old kids from Newark traveling the world singing. It's, uh, it was a really excellent experience for me to be exposed to, especially growing up in Newark, New Jersey, which at the time that I was growing up, it really wasn't a great place to be living. Um, I went to high school in New York, where I went to this boarding school in uh, Dobbs Ferry, which is Westchester. And then I went to college in Boston, where I went to the Berklee College of Music. At Berklee, I didn't know that I wanted to pursue my own artist career. I thought I would arrange and maybe play keys for some people. I was just trying to figure out how I fit in. And I didn't really trust my own music enough to pursue artistry on my own, but something in 2017 i got the opportunity to perform the outside lands music festival you say you're from the bay so i performed the first set of the entire festival with this dj dwilly and i had all these strangers who were like yo we're messing with your music like uh, just a bunch of people i didn't know before me in front of this big crowd and i was like okay if i can get these strangers." Just randomly at outside lands to mess with what I'm doing, then I should probably actually take it seriously. I moved to LA in October of 2018, and I've been here since just grinding and
0: hustling. And so you really got to um, pick up where mom left off because you said she went into healthcare. And what did she go into healthcare? What did she do?
1: Uh, So she worked with this company, I believe the name was Novartis, and I honestly do not remember what she did for them. But what I do feel very proud of is in 2009, my mother founded the Sickle Cell Association of New Jersey. And for the last 11 years, she's been the founder and executive director of the Sickle Cell Association of New Jersey because she wanted to make sure that the non-health related needs of sickle cell anemia patients were being met. Because there's a cancer association, there's um, an asthma association, and there's all these different diseases that have these associations. But sickle cell, which is a disease that primarily affects black folks and folks that look like us, wasn't getting the attention that it needed in New Jersey. And my mother, through her work with Novartis, she recognized that gap and she said, I want to do something to fix this. And the Sickle Cell Association in New Jersey has been strong for over a decade now, which is crazy and just such a blessing in my family.
0: Yeah, that definitely is. And I've, I've, I've worked with youth before and I've, I've come across youth who, you know, have dealt with that and battled that. And honestly, one of them didn't even look black. He said, I, I guess I might have something in me, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like when I go to my camps, it's all that I see. But he did not look, I mean, not he didn't look mixed. He didn't look anything. But you, so you, you you picked up that, that art, you would say, from your mom, though.
1: Absolutely. I grew up with music in the house.
0: Okay. Now, have you had moms on a track yet?
1: So not on a song that I've done with my artist project as it exists now. But when I was 16, we wrote this really, really cheesy song for my dad's birthday. And we (laughs) sang it together. Um, And it's very cute. And I hope that no one ever sees it again, but I, it's very close to my heart. But it was just like the type of song that someone writes with his mom when you're 16 for your dad. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, not, that needs to go platinum right now with music having no boundaries and usually for the worst where anything can come out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I have a song in my head, and and I'm just throwing this out here. You you want to run with it and collab with me? I'm always down to get in the booth. But I'm sitting with my kids, and I said, you can make anything. You could even say boo boo on a stick, boo boo on a stick, and, and it will go. It, it will go. Let me tell you, I said that. Why did my kids go to the church? Um, you know, summer camp. Told their friends, I come back. Every kid, they have every color. Boo boo on a stick. I said. Gosh,
1: nah, it's not now. <laughs> Man, you dug yourself. Yeah. I'm not when when Kanye dropped lift yourself and I was listening to the track and then the Jersey Club beat came in. It was that. Yeah. I was like, yo, this
0: is this is kind of crazy. <laughs> Anything can go right now. And so I'd say, you know, that would be the, 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 the follow up. Right. hmm and so you 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 did music i mean you did music your whole life i'm gonna get into the big stuff but i'm just kind of fascinated with you know going to the boarding school because i wish i could have went to a boarding school my parents told me look at your grades yeah. <laughs> there's no way uh, but how was that because you don't meet too many of us i know like down south and in the, the east coast um that's more prevalent. I don't know one in California or the West Coast, but how was that growing up?
1: So first, I got to start with at the Newark Boys Core School, there was this um, and it, it wasn't a real stigma, but it was like this kind of stigma that existed within the students that the quote unquote smart kids would leave for boarding school. And they would apply to this Newark Foundation called the White Foundation, which took kids of color and put them in boarding schools. And then there was also uh, so I didn't get into the White Foundation, and I was like, "But I'm one of the smart kids." I applied to ABC, which is a better chance, which does the same thing, but it's a, a stretches beyond just Newark. And I got into a better chance, and they were able to send me to the master school. Uh, the master school was located in Dobbs Ferry, New York, and I am incredibly grateful for all the teachers and all my friends that I made there. But that school was also very formative in my experience as a black person because I got thrown from an all black, all boy school into an all white co-ed school in Westchester. And I don't know, back when we were in middle school, you know, you do hiking, you play the dozens and you, you, your mama jokes, that's how you make friends. And then I got to this school in Westchester and I was doing the same thing. And one of the teachers sat me down and was like, Hunter, you're not going to make friends doing this. This isn't how it works here. And I was like, what do you mean? And I had to adjust uh, to my surroundings. And then my junior year, I actually was expelled from the school for stealing a soda. So, and it, it, it's exactly like it sounds. I took a soda from a party and the school expelled me. And then eventually we appealed... And we went to the administration, we said, you have white students who have stolen laptops and white students who have had cocaine and you expelled this one student for white, uh, this black student for taking a soda. It just doesn't add up. And the school eventually readmitted me, but that was kind of my first experience with institutional racism in the way that it exists. Because I, you know, we all... We go through the five stages of death when you come to realize racism is real in the way that it is. And I was definitely in denial through most of that experience, me getting expelled. It can't, can't have to do with me being black. It has nothing to do with them treating me differently. But then you have white kids stealing laptops and doing cocaine who are not experiencing the same penalization that I am. So that was definitely helped push me into the artist that I am today. I'm very grateful for my school and also think that the administration has a lot of work to do, but yeah, that's,
0: Okay. And and it's not just you. I've I've experienced that people who, you know, they they follow the show or if they know me personally, they know if you look on my Instagram and you can find an old family pic, I am the black sheep of the family if my mother is not in the picture, Um, literally. So I know both sides. Um, When I tell people, I know white people. (laughs) I know them very well, Um, you know, and they say, you can't know them, you know, you went to HBCU. So I I, I get it um, because we are at a different tier. And that's why I think, you know, the lyrics in your song, I mean, they they played a clip and it was a longer clip than many people get in a movie. Mm -hmm. But that whole song and, and folks, that link will be in the description box is just I mean, that is what we all go through all black people, especially if you're a black male, that's why, you know, black man, black man. And it's hard enough to be a human in, you know, in in the world or in this country, I should say. But, you know, that just, the weight on your shoulders, I mean, it was just deep. I was looking for the lyrics. I said, hold on, Hunter's going to send me the lyrics so I can send it to Genius Scan. We need the lyrics on there because, you know, Black Lives Matter to many were just, oh, that's Colin Kaepernick or that's just a saying or a shirt. But there were, you know, the white people that I knew, they were like, yes, I've seen the racism and how I've been treated different. And you beautifully just laid it out. What inspired that song and how long did it take you to write it?
1: So that song actually got written relatively quickly because honestly, it was just me being pissed off. Like we go, we walk through this world in the way that we do with this hyper vigilance to our white surroundings. And I was just pissed of feeling like a victim. So what inspired the song and actually what got it into the movie, um, which happened years later, of course, but what inspired the song was This Is America. So I'm watching This Is America with Childish Gambino and I'm thinking, yo, this song rides, but then you get to the scene in the music video and he splatters the choir of Black people. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my mentor, uh, Professor Lawrence Watson of the Berkeley College of Music, and uh, Larry said to me, why do we need this imagery? And how could this imagery possibly be powerful? How are we so far gone as a culture that it takes a visceral murder of a Black choir to get people to react to a song and larry saying that to me really stuck with me so i'm saying what if i were to do my version of this is america but make it only empowering make it no act and we didn't shoot a visual for it but i wanted no aspects of the lyrics to even allude to black pain in the way that gambino does it like we acknowledge it we take it in and we hold it there and uh we say it with our chest but I didn't want the negative energy that the Gambino video kind of brought out.
0: No, I d- definitely I definitely get it. I wasn't a fan of the video. And art is art, so art is um, you know, beautiful to those who create. So you don't have to like everything. If you do, you probably don't know much about art, and mm-hmm. you just kind of go with the flow. And, ah, oh, that's beautiful, whatnot. But I wasn't a fan of... the the video for various reasons, but, um, and and I like some of his music. Um, so, you know, no, no, no down on, on him, but just did, it didn't hit me like, ah, that's what you guys want to pay attention to. Okay. What about, you know, um, uh, Joyner Lucas's (laughs) video, like that, that could have got more attention when it was the racist and it was, uh, you know, I,
1: I actually had an issue with, I'm not a racist too. Because I feel like I'm Not A Racist did not accurately weigh the power scales between uh, white people and black people. Because I'm Not A Racist has Joyner Lucas rapping as this white man and he called black dude a nigger. And then then the black guy is like, well, we wear these chains because we're sad and it's the same. And it's just not the same. It felt to me like accidental racist by um, LL Cool J and that country artist, where he says, if you forgive the gold chains, we'll forgive the iron chains. And I'm like, no, slavery is not the same as (laughs) jewelry, LL Cool J. uh, So while I appreciated the message and I appreciated that people were able to take something out of the Join of Lucas video, I think that there was a lot of nuance missing from his lyrics that would have provided a more positive message to those who haven't done the required reading to understand the power structures as they exist.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that's, I think the difference with most, you know, most artists, um, I mean, most artists, I've done this for 20 years aren't intellectuals. You know, there are some, there's some that are brilliant and geniuses, but as knowing the history or even like you of traveling overseas, most artists, when they do travel and they're on tour, they don't go see the, the, you know, uh, Soweto, they go to Joburg, they go to Cape town, um, I talk to people, I've been to 16 plus countries, I talk to people who say, oh yeah, I went to that country as a missionary or a military, and I, I've never done either. And I'm like, let's talk about the city, and they can't even tell you one place in the city, because they went to, you know, the orphanage or whatnot. And it's like, you gotta see it, in it with a different lens. But And I've, I've been able to interview and talk with LL Cool J, you know, great for what he can do, but LL you know, where did he, you know, where did he study or what, you know, we won't even go there. Cause I don't want to down anyone, but like your background, you're, you study, you're like a, a student, not just of music, but of culture and people. And I think now that's making sense why that song was deeper than most things that we hear, because, you know, most deaf will never be anybody's favorite artist, but there's things that most deaf and dead prez, and things that they say that are deeper than what an LL Cool J would say, and we're just picking on him, or what a, you know, whoever you want to name out there, because some of their stuff, they, they've studied different things. And it, it's, it's, also, it's also just an
1: impossible task to encapsulate the Black experience in any way, shape, or form, you know? Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. 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 We, I mean, when people say, I I go to certain swanky like meetings, whatnot, and my hair is locked. Right. And, and, and I flip it to different styles and I've been to meetings like rotary meetings and people, you know, they're talking about the racial stuff. And it's like, you feel like Huey in the boondocks. And what do you think? Mm -hmm. And the, The answers that you give them, I love to throw people off because the same way that the Klan thinks or the white supremacist thinks, you know, many people like us, we wanna be in our cultural, I wanna be around my tribe. And my tribe isn't always look like me, but they think like me, they act like me. But a lot of times they do look like me because they understand, at least in this country, where we, we come from. But I have such an assortment of people around me at times. I'm like, it is about tribe, but you gotta take care of your people. Because if not, you, you're kind of like, you feel like a unicorn or a pink poodle, which we're not. We've just had different experiences. And, you know, there's folks in the hood of like, man, what are you talking about Africa? And it's like, well, if you came and we brought 30 people to Africa last year, mind blowing, right. mind blowing. 30 people had never been. And I said, yeah, this is what every high school needs, <laughs> you know. But I want to get into the the, the the song, the business of the y- y- your song, because you've been doing this for, you've been doing music for a lifetime. How did you get it in a movie now, or have you been placed in other movies before? So
1: this was actually just a beautiful set of circumstances. So I moved to LA in October, and then I was very, very broke and got a job at a Barnes and Noble in Glendale. And I was walking to work, and I saw Terry Crews just standing at the valet. And I, uh, when I moved to LA, I said to myself, I'm not going to like fan over anyone because I want to present myself as a collaborator and not as just someone to be, oh, let me, oh, freaking out when I see people. Uh, I definitely have freaked out when I see people, but I wanted to make sure that I'm reeling that in. So I saw Terry. I walked up to him and I said, hey, brother, major fan. Dapped them up and then I kept walking. The next day, I got a call to sing in a session, just to sing some oohs and ahs. And it was easy, just like a hundred dollar gig. And I show up at this apartment and find out that it's for a movie that Terry Crews is starring in. And I'm like, this is that's weird. So the movie was directed by Will Forbes, who is a Berkeley alumni. Will's, um, I believe, his production assistant found me and some other singers um, who I'm actually was good friends with when we were from school uh, when we were at school on the Berkeley alumni Facebook page in LA. So they just found me on Facebook and asked me to sing in the film. So I'm singing oohs and ahs for the score that show up at various points in the movie. And I got Will's information because Will is a Berkeley graduate and it seemed like quite a departure to go from, Uh, graduating from Berkeley to writing movies in LA. So I got his information and asked him about his journey and he told me about it. And he said that um, he wasn't getting too many film scoring jobs. So he started writing movies and he got the money to make this movie. So I was like, that's awesome that you came in and you hustled as hard as you did to get this type of opportunity. So weeks go by, he asked me to come in and sing the title sequence for the film. So when you open the film, you hear, John Henry with a hammer. So I sing that. And this is all you think that these movies are happening. We're recording in these studios. Now we're doing this all in Will's apartment because it was a very do-it-yourself type of experience. And I recorded that. Will texts me maybe a month later around December and says, hey, man, we are basically out of money, is what he tells me, because it's an indie film that he was financing himself at the point, at that point. And he's like, I need music for this film. Do you have anything that might work? So I sent him every single song I've ever worked on ever. <laughs> and I was like, if any of these work, just just take it. Because I'm new to L.A. I'm looking for opportunities. And he really resonated with Ya yeah, and put it in the scene that it's in, which I'm just so
0: incredibly grateful for. Wow. Talk, I mean, God is good, man. That That is, a. I mean, did you ever meet Terry Crews again? Or did he ever like connect the dots and say, hey, that was the kid who got me up?
1: No, I, I don't think so. Because it's not like I told him my name. I don't. I doubt he would remember my face. He was at the valet. He probably has people coming up to him all the time. I have not been able to meet uh, Terry Crews or Ludacris in person. Ludacris was my favorite rapper in middle school. So to be rapping in a project that he executive produced, that's an insane, insane honor to me.
0: Oh man, that no, that's awesome. Now, Will Forbes, a white guy, black guy—is he connected to the Forbes magazine?
1: No, he's he's a white guy, but okay. um, I believe he, I, from my understanding, he's not
0: connected. Okay, not that he'd want to, you know, tell everybody that because that would just have everybody saying, "Hey, <laughs> I, I need I need a loan, whatnot." So you you do this film, and I really want you, you know, as much as you can and feel comfortable to explain to people, because I love having people who have scores or, you know, movie, you know, clips or they've done some work. How does the business work on that? Because there are some artists who like, you know what, I gave that away for free or, you know, I made, you know, $200. And some people will say, hey, I I made my year's salary on that. But when your, your friends look at you, your family looks at you, they're probably looking at you and not your mom and dad, but everyone else is probably looking at you like, hey, can I get a loan? Like you were in Forbes. So how does the business work on that? Can you retire now, kick back and never do anything again?
1: Well, um, I'm fortunate that no one has asked me for a loan yet because, I, you know, that's not happening. <laughs> I, if Even if it could. Uh, but so for this film in particular, it's an indie film. It was very do-it-yourself and I loaned my song to the film without a fee, but was able to negotiate um, 100% royalties to myself, Um, which Will was very forthcoming, that was really easy. So they used the song and um, I honestly won't know what that money looks like for a couple months. Now it happens differently for different people. So if I know that DJ Quick was involved with the film DJ Quick has the credits to charge in a way that I do not, you know, and in Like i of course you chase a check, but the check is never my main priority to be part of a project With Ludacris and Terry Crews that was an honor and that was a platform for the next stepping stone So for this film in particular Uh, It's just the royalties that I'm receiving off of that. And I do not believe it will be even close enough to retire on. Uh, But it has been in the top 10 films in the U.S. on Netflix all week, which is crazy. It's got kind of a a cult following of people who are reacting very strongly to it.
0: Yeah, and and people who say, DJ Quick, who? DJ Quick has been doing music longer than we both have been alive. Mm You know? DJ Quick is 50 years old at, at least, and bangers, I, I enjoyed some of the music. I started with music, and so I'm, I'm like, yeah, DJ Quick can say, yeah, I, I need to get paid up front, but this, this platform, I mean, for all you know, this song, you know, starts getting awards, and then you, you know, you start changing certain things about your beard. You make it like mango color or something because you're in L.A., right? And <laughs> Since the, since the movie came out,
1: the play uh, the plays on Yeah! have gone up by 250%. Like the the rate that people are streaming it at. Which is mm-hmm. the numbers have not reached like astronomical numbers, but I'm never looking at the concrete number in front of me. I'm looking at the growth that I'm experiencing. Because if this goes up 250% and then my next song gets any of that following and then the next continues to grow, it's much more important to me that I am growing in my artistry than it is that a flat number um, shows up really high, really immediately. Because I've been doing music as an artist since 2017, which is only three years in the game. Anyone, most of these people are, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. So Lizzo's first song came out in 2009. Macklemore's first song came out in 2001. And they put in these work over 10 years of time, and then they got the accolade. So I'm just very grateful to see the growth this early on for it to be three years in and for me to have a song and a film that's been in the top 10 films in the U.S. on the biggest streaming platform in the U.S. for an entire week. That's crazy.
0: That's really crazy and such a humbling experience. And you seem to be taking it well because some people at this point would have the John Henry jacket. Yes, my song plays at you know the time stamp. Um, I, I know people who who would do this. And so you know it's it's such what an honor, and I hope um, I really hope that it just it blows up into the you know the next the next thing. Now, has rap always been your you know genre outside of the choir? Are there any other genres that you say you know I, I like to do? You know, heavy metal or you know whatever bluegrass.
1: So I'm gonna be honest, I I like doing everything, um, and so I went to the Berklee College of Music. And we study all different types of music there. And I was really able to own own my skills and collaborate with so many different types of musicians. So when I decided that I was going to start rapping, that became, I feel like rap is the easiest vehicle for me to tell stories on. But I also enjoy writing jazz. I'm writing a jazz fusion project. I'm primarily an arranger outside of my artist project. So when I'm not working on Hunter Lamar's rap, I play keys for a bunch of different artists um, and I arrange and music direct some artists in L.A. And that's like kind of um, as big of a passion as rapping and writing my own music is. I think that I also enjoy songwriting. I have a lot of collaborators that I work with here. I recently started a working on commercial pitches with some friends of mine where we arrange songs to fit commercials and fit kind of that sweet. You know, when, you, when an Apple commercial comes on and the family looks all sweet together and there's an acoustic guitar, we started working on that together. So I try to keep a foot in as many different genres as possible because that helps inform my writing. When I took um, Afro, um, Afro Percussion, the lab at Berkeley with Ernesto Diaz, he taught me these merengue rhythms. And I was like, um, wow, that helped inspire some of the flows that I use in my rap. Listening to a bunch of different types of music just makes your own music, no matter if you can apply it correctly, it opens up the world to the things that you're able to do, even if it's rap, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. With, you know, with doing all these different types of musics, do you find it beneficial? And let the people know, you know, how how many countries you've been to, but do you find that like going to a place really put you in tune? Like if you go to, you know, wherever, um, Africa, you can hear the Congo, you know, bumping, or if you go to Jamaica or wherever, like, where have you been? And do you find that to be beneficial in your uh, artistry?
1: So uh, it is a major goal of mine to take a rhythm masterclass on every continent. I have... Not been able to do anything close to that. I'm uh, fortunately Berkeley has so many different types of musicians that I got introduced to a lot of forms of music. My favorite ensemble at Berkeley was the Middle Eastern Fusion Ensemble because those cats were playing stuff that was just out of this world. And I also have to um, shout out this group that I was involved with uh, that's no longer together. It's called the Trap Music Orchestra. And the Trap Music Orchestra we were a 22 musician band that played um, like horn and big band arrangements of classic trap songs. So imagine Nuck If You Buck with trombones, saxophones and trumpets. And it was a celebration of the culture in a really beautiful way. Our founder and the music director, Ryan Easter said, there's a lot of kids in the hood who are not being exposed to music. And they're like, who cares about Beethoven? Who cares about Mozart? But they love Shy Glizzy. So we'll, would take these songs and reinterpret them so they could say, oh, that's how this music can relate to me. That's how it can translate it to me. And it was honestly, it was the most buck experience I've ever been a part of. It was an incredibly energetic, bombastic group. We got the opportunity to open for Nas once. Like, we were really doing some awesome things. And that group taught me a lot about respecting every single genre and understanding the nuance and trap and understanding the nuance in hip-hop, and yeah, that was just just awesome, and just awesome, man.
0: And for the folks who are listening on the podcast, the podcast is where we have the most listeners, um, but this is what it sounds like. YouTube might mute this. They might give me a copyright strike, whatever, but this is what that, that sounds like, because they're going to say, what is that? Man, but they're cursing. I like kids to be able to listen. <laughs> and like parents. But, you know, they, they, I, I love that. Because I, I, I've heard, you know, different renditions. And I'm going to check that out even more um, of, of that. So, you know, but going to, you, you have traveled overseas. So let mm. the people know where, you know, you were able to travel. And did that make a difference at all? I'm going to be honest. At the age that I traveled, I do not mm. think...
1: I had the clairvoyance to appreciate it in the way that I needed to. So mm. I went to England and I went to Wales and we kind of crossed into Scotland for a quick second. And I had a great experience, but I don't think I took it in in the way that I needed to to really appreciate the fact that I'm an 11 year old who's out of the country. Mm. Uh, I, if, okay. I also got the opportunity to go to Japan with my high school and we were at this education forum in Morioka. That was where I was like, okay, I kind of dropped the ball when I was 11 by just like, Oh, I'm in England. I'm just going to play around in Japan. That was when we really got to bond with our host family and experience and soak in the culture. I don't think it it necessarily had an impact on my musical attitude, but it definitely had an impact on my global attitude to experience Um, culture in a way that I had never seen before and never like tasted, never smelled, never been part of, never felt before, you know?
0: Okay. And that makes sense because I, I mean, I have a 10 year old and a six year old and I can tell you at a, when they, we go wherever we go, um, you ain't going to see what you whatever you want to see. You're going to see what I want to see as a grown-up. Mm-hmm. And, and then when, you know, I, I didn't get to travel overseas until an adult, and I had to sow my royal oats, as the, you know, movie says. But um, so I know I definitely, definitely get it. Definitely get it. With the the movie or uh, the music being placed in the movie, Have you now, does that like have a domino effect where people are calling you like myself and saying, hey, I need you to do our movie and what else do you do? Like, are you seeing more traction in your social media and email? I have definitely
1: um, gained um, a good amount of followers in the past week of people who have seen the film. There's a lot of people who have reached out and said, hey, um, I heard your song in this film and I needed to find the artist, keep doing your thing. I've had some people that I haven't talked to in years reach out, which I'm super grateful for. Like, it's really awesome to have, um, just like exposure does work. And like us musicians, we hate it when people are like, we'll pay you with exposure, but this has been a very positive experience
0: And it's, I mean, the movie just came out. So the possibilities are endless right now. Quarantine, Netflix is up. I Mm -hmm. represent um, some, you know, YouTubers and, you know, people are, you know, million plus YouTubers are seeing their numbers go crazy. 60,000 plus YouTubers are seeing their numbers go crazy. I almost want to say numbers as far as like money, but I don't want people out there saying, hey, we know who you represent. They're making that much money why are they doing this you know because you know how folks are especially our folks where they they see the success if i was you i'm i'm a i'm a comedian so i would um you know go rent the rolls royce or go next to the rolls royce and say hey this john henry money and just like blow everybody's mind but that might not be the best thing in your real life but i I like to be funny like that with people just just because so in your real life, though, I mean, you made this song, and you, you like to compose, and you talked about that. What does your day look like? Because there are so many people who want to do music full time. And are you able to do music full time now? And how do you make that work?
1: So I, um, I'll just tell you about what my day looked like yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, it is different every day. And I wear a lot of different hats. Because right now, where I am in music, like maybe 20, uh, like, like 2,000 followers on Instagram, like a couple of streams, but also one excellent placement and a lot of experience in the industry. I Yesterday, I woke up and I worked on a Stevie Wonder tribute that I'm doing just for me and just for fun to put on YouTube and kind of for my portfolio. Then I recorded some keys for my friend's band, Fashion Jackson. I sent them some some tracks that they could use. I um I do a little bit of voice acting on the side. So if I have a job or a commercial or something, I'll record that. I'll send out some vocals to some friends. But every day looks really different. I found in quarantine, I didn't have the skills to produce before quarantine started because my shtick or my main hustle was live shows and arranging for live shows. So I kind of had to pick up a new skill set when this picked up so that I could still do music in the way that I am. So now I'm able to work on songs from the house and I've been learning my way around the digital audio workstations and learning how to mix and just trying to get a lot better at that as quickly as possible.
0: Okay. Okay. So quarantine, you've been taking advantage of the time and it's a lot of time Mm -hmm. that no, that's, that is um, awesome. You know, um, to, to be able to do that now with, you know, you've been at, traveled to Japan, and that was like the, you know, the, the biggest impact because that's the how old. I mean, in age, you saw more. Did you see how like Japan needs someone like you? Over, not, you don't even have to be over there, but to mix and master for their hip hop scene, even let's just say that, just that one genre, and it might be other genres that need you because everywhere we go, I mean, we create the trends, and all through Asia, you have folks trying to rap this, that, the third, and I and I know people who I've seen them in movies, like Big Steel, who was in Eminem's movie back in the day. But Big Steel told me he was like, I don't have to make music and try to compete here in America, I can go to the, you know, Dubai and go get a whole check. Do you ever look at those international opportunities and say, I need to go back there because they need my skill set?
1: You know, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, that is not something that I've given significant thought to. Not, okay. not, not because I don't want to, but it's just something that hasn't really crossed my mind at this stage of where I'm at. I'm really trying to, I told myself when I moved to LA, and I'm a very I'm a consummate East Coaster. I've lived in Boston, New York, and New Jersey. And um, having a bodega on the corner is just the way that I grew up. So moving to LA was quite a culture shock for me. I told myself I cannot give up on this city unless I've been here for at least five years. Mm. Because I think that it takes time. It when I was in Boston, it took me five years to be a full time to have music be the only thing that I was doing. I did restaurant jobs and administrative jobs and I worked at a rock climbing gym. I had some, and I worked um, delivering food on my bike for like Grubhub and, but until, it wasn't until my last summer in Boston where I was a full-time working musician where all of my checks and my rent was paid and all of my bills, I wasn't calling home. I was just doing music and I was working at Berkeley as a teacher's assistant for Professor Lawrence Watson. I was working for the Boston Improvement District as one of their hired singers for their daily parades. And I was working as a wedding singer on the weekends, as well as like doing my own gigs and writing my own stuff. So that was four different jobs that I would have within the week. And that's, so I said, you can't give up on LA, even if things don't look great right now, until I've been here for enough time to feel like I gave my all to this city. Because it would be very naive and very foolish of me to show up, I got lucky that I got a movie deal my month, uh, one month in, you know? That's a one in a, once in a lifetime. And it's not the be all end all. It is just the platform for me to take the next step, you know, for me to keep working that much harder because I was able to come into some luck right like that, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I hope I hope it spreads for you. Uh 'cause like I, you know, said off camera, LA is my one of my least favorite cities. Again, for a week, I'm loving LA. We can do LA for a week. But for everybody, your doctor, your dentist, everybody is an entertainer. And that's just not real life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, everyone has a headshot. And yes, I'm talking about you guys, LA, because in the Bay, we have real lives. Um, but, you know, tax-wise and everything, I'm just not a fan of California for, for the taxes. But I, I, I want to make sure, because so I can hear someone ask, well, he did that one song, and it sounded like that. He does so much different types of music, can really play music. What would your album look like? And has it come out? Will it come out? K What's up? Yeah, so I
1: currently Hunter Lamar, which is my actual name and is how I present my artist project, that project is primarily r and hip hop. And I'm working on my debut project, which will be an r and hip hop project. And that will be the artist, uh, the artist project that I present to the world as that. I am working on another project that I'm not quite ready to announce because it's still very much in the beginning stages um, that will be for my jazz compositions because You know, if you go on Spotify and you listen through a list of Honol Mar songs and I put everything I was writing on there, it would be a little confusing and it wouldn't be sonically consistent. In the age of streaming, sonic consistency isn't as big of an issue because you can you have access to every song that's ever existed in a way that's never happened before, which is kind of recent to the past few years. But I still do believe in artistry in that way. So I try to separate those projects to create thematic and narrative consistency in the music and the art that I produce for people's consumption.
0: I, I get that because I'm a nerd where I didn't always like how albums were composed. So, you know, back in the tape days and then CD, you, and then you get a computer, I want to put it the way I want to hear it.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: I, you know, and, and, that's, and that's not me being... You know, Puff Daddy, even though I did love Puff Daddy, and I, you know, some things in my life look like that on a very micro <laughs> scale. But no, I, I definitely um, get that because you want to hear what you want to hear. And when I hear you say that, I think of artists that most people don't know, like Second Chance, where he's a country singer, but he can also rap his, 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 his I mean, he can rap quick, you know old school, just spit it, but he loves to do the country music, and then he hits, you know, the the heavy metal as well, and I and I want music. Ice-T once said this in an interview with someone else. He said, I want music just to be in a, a, a black, like, you know, bag or something, and just let people hear what they want to hear, because with that's where you hear the true art because you know he likes to do rap but he also likes to do the heavy metal and he doesn't like being judged like you can't come out with a rap album and then do the heavy metal stuff which now it makes more sense of what he's talking about but back in the day 20 years ago people were like what are you trying to do you know and so it's really important
1: that um artists aren't put into a box you know because we genres don't really exist in the way that they did 20 years ago. There's no such thing as pop. There's no such thing as R&B. Obviously, like there's history there, but I, one of my favorite artists and closest friends, Floyd Fuji, he's been called jazz, he's been called urban, he's been called hip hop, and he's been called soul. And I find that he doesn't always identify with any of those titles because he's making music that lives and breathes and it doesn't necessarily deserve to be compartmentalized. I have other artist friends where not every black girl that sings is making R&B. They may not consider themselves an R&B artist and there's nothing wrong with being a rhythm and blues artist and nothing wrong with soul music. But I feel like urban has become this encompassing term for black while we're not being allowed in the mainstream media to explore our artistries in the necessary ways that we should be.
0: And, and like your song talks about, you know, racism, the, I wrote this book on the Christian industry um, for entertainment, movies and music. And the, I wrote it because the people who I thought should have wrote it said, artists don't read, right? And in this book, and in this book, I took conversations and, and things people had told me where the industry is not racist because of this, that. But someone like Mandisa, who most Black folks don't know on Mandisa because she's more played on the Christian pop. Mm-hmm. And she, to me, sounds like a Black woman singing, but it's the way that she's singing. And there's even white rappers who can get on, you know, Caleb and different things, but Black rappers can't. And it just shows like, these conversations to, we have to have and, and talk about.
1: I got to see Mandisa live when um my friend Alex uh was playing on the Winter Jam tour. So okay. that was um uh, I had never been to a Christian music concert in that way, and they were playing Madison Square Garden, and we had about 15 people show up to support Alex
0: and the artist he was playing for. And so yeah, that was. Well, I mean, and, and I wrote the book, so I necessarily wouldn't have to only deal. I was one of the hardest parts of my life, life being turned upside down, um, all fault to myself. And I wrote it because I said, once I got in it, I said, wait, it's the still, you're still dealing with people and you're dealing with ego and pride and, you know, folks who I'm doing it for the Lord, but, <laughs> you know, run me that $20,000 check to, mm-hmm. um, do this and and you know church church like everybody else it's not perfect but um no that's a beautiful thing now if you have things your way and you can just draft out how life would be what would you want to do as a musician as a creative as a business person
1: so my my greatest passion is live. I love performing live and I love every aspect of live performance. I love the meticulous details that go into crafting the perfect concert. So I would love to tour. I would love to tour my own music, but I also would love to tour with some of the artists that I work with. They are so much fun to play with as a music director. My favorite thing is to interpret their vision and translate it to the stage. So on top of that, If um, if I were to have life my way um, in the perfect setup, I would be splitting my time in between being on the road and performing, and then also doing studio sessions, writing songs, and producing music. So I would be able to interpret and facilitate visions on the radio and on the live stage and in my own life.
0: Wow, wow. Now, have you written that down? (laughs) I have. Okay, so, so it's on the vision board. You've written the vision down, made it plain. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. I don't wanna give the folks a game overload. So, but I do wanna ask you the question I ask every guest and what is your community give back that you are doing now or that you wanna do for the community um, later on? So, first off, let me start out by shouting out
1: my community. I am so grateful for my friends in Los Angeles, my friends in New York and my family. And before we got off this, I would be remiss if I didn't give major props to Brett White, White Noise, who produced Ya for me. He took my vision and he just ran with it and nailed it. I would be remiss if I didn't shout out Amber Kiner who provided her vocals. It was very important to me to have a black woman sing on that song. And then the lyric um, that comes right after that is my sister is my keeper. So to have her voice on the project was very grateful. And then also Daniel Ratner, who created the artwork for me. And the artwork, for those who haven't seen it, is me as an 11-year-old jumping into a lake, feeling very carefree while the Ku Klux Klan is standing behind me, and they have bullet holes in them. Because I wanted to flip the switch on the images that we're always seeing. It's a very jarring image that my dad hated the first time he saw it. But I was like, we're always seeing ourselves as the victim. We watch these slave movies and we're being chased. What would happen if it were the opposite of that? And I loved that I, that Dan was able to take that vision and really nail it in. I currently, in terms of give back to my community, every February, I do a Black History series on Instagram where I highlight a different issue every day and try to break it down from the historical roots to what's bothering us right now. I said earlier in the podcast that you experience the five stages of death when you're dealing with racism. You go through the denial, you go through the grief, you go through the acceptance, you go through the anger. And I want people to have the tools to understand what that looks like and understand why things are set up the way that they are. Because you don't like, yes, racism is this big overwhelming cloud, but you don't always get it broken down into, here's how racism manifests itself in the classroom in elementary school versus when you're in high school versus when you're in college versus when you're in the South or versus when you're in the North. Here's how we value um, European and Eurocentric values in music theory, that we only study 12-tone temperament because there's so many different forms of microtonality and types of tonicization. I'm saying words and messing up. I'm trying to say too many words right now and I'm messing up what I'm trying to say. But we have a Eurocentric way that we learn. We anchor our entire experience on European beauty standards, European education standards. And I want people to be able to see the ways that it erodes at their life so they're able to make it richer. So the February Instagram series at the Hunter Lamar, I do that. And the highlights are there. I'm compiling that Instagram series into my first book. Um, which is maybe about 30% done right now. It is um, a a labor of love, but I've had a lot of people reach out who said that learning why things are the way they are has been validating for their experience. And I wanna do the same thing that Lawrence Watson did for me at Berkeley where I was like, oh. This experience and these feelings that I was afraid to share with people, they are real feelings that other people are having. And here's how I'm able to address them. Here's how I'm able to understand and interpret the systems that are around me that makes things the way that they are. And here's how I combat it.
0: That Now, that is awesome. Now, at Berkeley, was that an um, undergraduate or graduate degree? Uh, Berkeley. You...
1: I got an undergraduate at Berkeley College of Music.
0: Okay, because you you know you're a professor, right? You know, you could have a course right now that people need to sign up and you teach whatever you're gonna teach. Um, I mean, that, that's the vibe that I'm getting. Have you, have you thought about that or looked into that? I've definitely
1: considered, getting, my dad always wanted me to be a doctor. Um, he, he is a doctor, he is a psychologist, he teaches college and he also has his own private practice. And he always jokes that he wanted me to be a doctor or an engineer and then I went into being a musician. But then I called him the other week because I was considering getting a doctorate in ethnomusicology uh, because that's the study of musical styles that aren't Western. And I think it would be nice to be an on-paper expert and to learn what the world has to offer as opposed to my own reflections, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's awesome. I think I see the Hunter Lamar courses and you take them to a portal and show them education in a way where you want them to see it not what you know talking about the western way of teaching i mean this lockdown has forced everyone to be like do homeschooling and i have with my kids we were homeschooling um after school you know because they like the social and and they like school i hated school Uh, but again i was the black sheep there for the most part of my years but i can really see you having a course I'm showing you the world. I can see you on YouTube every day. You just have the camera set up here. Whatever I'm doing, people are watching like the Truman Show. Wait, say that again? I said I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I can see it in – since you haven't hit the continent, once you hit the continent, and you know everyone's hearing about Afro beats right now, but this is nothing new. But once mm-hmm. you hit the continent of Africa, and I'm telling you, prices right now are dirt cheap, um, dirt cheap, dirt cheap. It's like stock. Buy now so you can use later, right? Because they're gonna let you use it for the next two years at least. Um, I think that you link up with some people. And when you're ready for that move, let me know, because there are some people that I know that are, you know, they've been doing their thing, but they need a real musician like yourself there. Um, And I think people will just gravitate because your personality, you're humble, you know what you're talking about. So I just wish the, the best for you, man. All prayers up. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Man, I appreciate you. Hey, you guys know I like to talk with the guests off air briefly and I like to respect their time. So I want you to share this with someone who can be inspired, like it, do all that good stuff and make sure you check out the links in the description for Hunter, because when you see him grabbing his Grammy, then you can say, hey, I reached out to him, He, you know, commented on my comment. Maybe you have, you know, some venture for him as well, where you want to hire him, not just, you know, taste the music, but hire the music and get it before it goes up to $200,000 a song and up. So (laughs) peace and blessings, y'all. Black man, black man, you got the
1: world on your shoulders and they thought they could destroy us all. Black man, black man, they hate to employ us but they love to enjoy us all. Black (laughs) man.